Hey everyone, and welcome to another exciting Battle of the Atom. This is your premier X-Men podcast, where I, Zach Jenkins, and my co-host, Adam Reck, talk about three different X-Men stories, and then we put them on a list from best to worst X-Men story of all time. Now, Adam, I do need to ask, in the year of our Lord, 2017, on this great day of December... 16th how are you doing <laughs> i'm doing great uh i'm excited because i i think we're going to be talking about some really wacky stuff today we are talking about some wacky stuff we're talking about uh three stories that friend of the show i think we can call him friend of the show he's been a guest dennis hopeless yep. dennis hopeless yeah. you're the guy writing uh gene gray and you watch you listen to that whole interview you can go back to get all those details uh, we were planning on doing this episode for the three titles that he had selected right afterwards, but then we got busy with some Thor stuff, and then we got busy with some Leah Williams, and then it just turned into this whole event. Yeah, I think it's about time that we caught back up with uh, with Dennis's recommendations, because if, if you guys remember, at the end of that show, we did ask him what he would recommend that we cover uh, for an episode, and uh, he picked some some pretty interesting stuff that had, had been working its way into his work um, over the course of his X-Men career, so... I know. I think after having reread these, I totally understand why he picked them, and I'm glad we get to cover this stuff today. Yes, and just as a programming note, we were going to ask Leah Williams the same question, and then we got very distracted and forgot. <laughs> I, we could probably hit her up on Twitter and, and get some requests, and, and uh, we'll see if we can get that going. We will see if we can get that going, but in the meantime, we've got some stories. The first story that we wanted to cover today is... X-Men Volume 1, Number 8, The Uncanny Threat of Eunice the Untouchable. Hmm. And boy, is he untouchable. You, you can't do anything. He's, he's not going to be touched. <laughs> yes. So this is a Stan and Jack joint with uh, uh, Chick Stone doing the inks over Jack's uh, pencils. This is early X-Men. And I think we've made our feelings known about early X-Men. But have... Uh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> On my website, XavierFriles.com, where I rank all of the X-Men, Eunice was one of – I think he was like number eight, like the eighth one that I did. So this was a couple years back at this point. Eunice became the bottom of my list for a Hmm. very long time. So I have some mixed feelings about Eunice the Untouchable. (laughs) <laughs> I don't know. I think he has some real merit. I mean, there's something incredibly uh, goofy and funny about him. I, I, you know, I think as we hit the Silver Age stuff and and try and compare it to more contemporary stories, we're starting to see what the magic of these Silver Age stories might be, even if they don't necessarily always stand up on, uh, you know, uh, on their own two feet. Um, 
I'm, what I'm fascinated by about this is, um, you know, Dennis recommended this because if I remember correctly, when the O5 do finally get a chance to time travel back, they do see that there is another Silver Age X-Men uh, team fighting uh, Unis. Am I saying that right? Unis? I don't Unis? It's Unis or Unis. Unis? I don't Unis? know. It's Let's go with Unis. questionably Greek. Hmm. His what I've learned. His real name is Gunther. Oh, I didn't know that. Eunice is his wrestling name. Yeah. All right. So I I I get why Dennis likes this. Like when he was on the show, he talked a little bit about why this is such goofy, silly fun. And this is everything that Dennis advertised. Because this issue does have a lot of really fun, quirky things that we haven't seen in the other uh, Silver Age X-Men that we've covered so far. Um, in the Juggernaut story, we got sort of this uh, suspense story of the Juggernaut getting ready to attack. Um, but this is a, a really fun kind of goofy Silver Age, uh, you know, random villain story. And I liked it a lot. Yeah, I, I will say that even though I did put Eunice at the very bottom of my list, I recommended this story because it's a lot of fun. It is. Eunice just kind of... He's kind of just a dingbat during the whole thing. He's what uh, somehow, and it will become relevant on our next episode. Uh, Kurt Busiek found his way into our uh, into our comments, and he had a lot of good things to say about Unis the Untouchable. Just because he's kind of dumb, but he's kind of charming, especially in this Silver Age story. Yeah, and to be clear, you're referring to Unis, not Kurt Busiek. <laughs> No, no. Kurt Busiek just has bad opinions on Silver Age X-Men, and that's fine. He's allowed to. I get it. Yeah, he really likes his Silver Age, and he, really uh, you know, he was Age. very nice about clarifying that for us, which I thought was good. Um, I personally, I love the idea in this issue that Unis is um, just like, he's just, he really wants to be a supervillain. You know, he's got some dreams and he wants to join that brotherhood and it just isn't going to work out for him. Yeah. You know, today is not his day. So, what happens in this story is that the X-Men going out on the town trying to enjoy being graduates because they graduated in seven issues, by the way. They were done <laughs> being X-Men students at the end of issue six and they had a photo shoot the next page. It happened pretty fast. Yeah. yeah. So Professor X is out exploring caves in his mechanical Jack Kirby wheelchair and Cyclops is running drills on the X-Men and – Eventually, Bobby and Hank decide to go out on the town, and they get harassed for being mutants. This is the Mm -hmm. first time we really tangibly see it. That's one thing I like about this issue, and really the back half of Stan and Jack's run on X-Men, is that things finally start to line up and make sense to be the X-Men that we think it is. Yeah, I'm glad you pointed that out because um, I just reread Marvel's, uh, the Alex Ross, um, Kurt Busiek, Kurt Busiek uh, thing. And there's there, my favorite issue of that is the X-Men issue. Um, and it is essentially this scene stretched out for an entire issue with, you know, an additional, uh, perspective of the, of the protagonist. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, you know, I think this is kind of integral to explaining what happens much later, um, with the X-Men that we know and love, um, as you know, more violence occurs with humanity and, and mutant kind. Um, this kind of sets, sets the table for that. Yeah. You get, you get a lot of that. You get a lot of 
the seeds of Scott and Jean's will they, won't they, that mm-hmm. will go on for too long. You get a lot of cool stuff in this issue. And then you get you get Hank quitting the X-Men. You get Hank deciding mm-hmm. that I'm not going to deal with saving these people that hate me, which another O5 connection is exactly when uh, Beast comes and takes the O5 out right there. Oh, really? Yeah. Oh, that's. Yeah. Okay. Well, then that makes sense that when they do travel back, that this is what they're doing. I was waiting for you to connect those dots. I really was. Though I am mad at Bendis because there is a joke where Bobby is talking in his all new is talking about how great the original X-Men are. And he says, you know, Unis the untouchable. I touched him. And I was like, no, you didn't. No, because that didn't happen. Yeah. All right. But uh, anyway, Hank becomes a wrestler. Mm hmm. And in the professional wrestling world of Marvel, it's not scripted. It's just a real thing. And Eunice goes, and he's another wrestler, and he can't be touched. He has a force field. (laughs) Which, I'm not a wrestling guy. Adam, are you a wrestling guy? Are you one of those WWE boys? I am not. Um, When I was a kid, I was really into it, but it it just didn't follow me into adulthood, unfortunately. It's got to be the worst wrestling match in the world if you can't touch one of the dudes, right? Yeah, I mean, the the match pretty much consists of the beast uh, in rubber ball mode, like just kind of bouncing off the guy. And, you know, it it makes it interesting that people like him, Unis, so much because that's... That's all that happens when you're in the ring with him. He doesn't throw anybody. He doesn't, uh, he doesn't, you know, there's no body slamming or, or elbows to the face. He's just like going to stand there and you're going to bounce off of him, which doesn't sound like it would make for a good match. Yeah, that's a bad, that's a bad show. That's a bad show for everyone involved. Yeah. I, I'll say during that fight, Jack Kirby's Jack Kirby. All right. And it's kinetic and it's great. And it's everything I want in the silver age. Yeah. Like this is, this is, a Jack Kirby comic, and I do love that about it. Well, and we've got to, you know, touch on the fact that this is an interesting transition issue for the character of the Beast because he's going from sort of, um, you know, Ben Grimm light to he's also going to be invention guy in this episode. You know, he gets a chance to kind of flex the, those intellectual muscles that he becomes known for. Uh, sort of the, the the mad scientist angle. And uh, I love the solution to this story. I mean, it's so Silver Age that yes. we're going to hype up Unis's power so much that he can't eat anymore. Um, he can't smoke. The cigarettes won't let him smoke. That's right. He just keeps reaching for things and they, they keep flying away from him. And there's something about that scene that like is just such a an animated, silly moment. And it's great. I, I, I enjoyed reading this a lot. Well, you don't, you don't think of Silver Age Jack Kirby Stanley as being intentionally a funny thing. Right. Like you just you don't. You see there's some goofy stuff looking back. This is a freaking humor scene at the end. This is a joke book yeah. to end this story. And it's fantastic. And I absolutely love it. Like, worst case, guys, get up on Marvel Unlimited or find a copy of this incredibly reprinted book. <laughs> And flip to like the last four pages. It's real good. And it's a much better resolution to Eunice stories than every other time when he appears when he suffocates on his own bubble. Mm. That's like happened three times. He's died for reals multiple times because of that. I really like the panel on the last page where he he can finally like grasp this uh, this. Uh, slice of cake and he's yeah. just so overwhelmed by enjoy he's like staring so lustfully at the at the slice of cake it's great so i i do love that 
The only other thing about Eunice I really like, I think he has at least two kids who have become superheroes slash supervillains. Oh, interesting. There was one in Alpha Flight and one in the uh, Acolytes, uh, Unison or whatever her name was. Interesting. I don't know. All okay. the Acolytes look the same to me. Does that make me racist? I don't think so. I think they're just it's like... It's more of a fashion thing. Yeah, that's a good Lots point. Lots of braids. Lots of gold, uh, gold paneling. Now, <laughs> now, now that now that we've talked Eunice to death, where would we where yeah. would we rank him? I would say this is the best Silver Age X Men story that we have on the list thus far. Absolutely, um, I, I like this a bunch. Um, <laughs> I thought it was really fun. So I, I'm looking for my bottom here on the list, and I'm thinking it's I enjoyed it more than like Exiles one and two. I I think I liked it more than Astonishing Tales Mojo World. Okay. Yeah. I mean, it is some serious fun and it has all the over the top stuff uh, that was recommended to us. I, I might've even liked this more than the Dracula issue. I don't know. I think where it, where I, are you looking at? I'm, I keep looking at this list. I think I'd rather read it than Battle of the Atom. Like it's, this is okay. a good Silver Age book. Like this is, this is solid. It's just everything else Eunice has ever been in is kind of dumb. Yeah. Yeah, but this as a as a unit, like as as just a standalone story, is is like really quality Silver Age fun stuff. So I think that's a good spot for it. Um, I know you probably don't want to put it above your beloved Exterminators. So uh, it's not better than Exterminators. It's not better than that first Peter David arc of X Factor. So that's that's where it's going to go. That's where it'll be. And that, my friends, is the new number thirty on our list between Inferno Exterminators and Battle of the Atom. X-Men number eight, Unis the Untouchable. Next on our list is an arc from the book Cable. Now, Dennis Hopeless, the the spirit guide of this list, I think. I think he's he's mm-hmm. been showing us the way through this list. Is uh, Cable, volume two, numbers seven through ten, Waiting for the End of the World. This is during the Cable and Baby era. And it's, I mean... You've now, Adam. Yeah. You've read you've read Messiah Complex, right? Messiah War, right? And now this arc in Cable. Yes, which is um, I, I read six to ten. I think we're just going to rank seven to ten. Um, is that the most Cable way to read a Cable story? Just jump in <laughs> all through the different timelines. Yeah, I I, I think it is. You know. Um, uh, the, uh, it's a good way to approach cable is to read it completely out of um, context and out of continuity so that you have no idea what's going on exactly like cables actual uh, story, which makes absolutely zero sense at any point in time whatsoever. But I'm really glad that I, that I read this because it provides such great context for what we read in Messiah war. And I really wish I had read these few issues before we did that, because I, I think it may have changed my opinion of Messiah war uh, a little bit more. And now careful listeners will remember that I said that this would help him like Messiah war more yeah. all the way back in episode where we covered Messiah war. It's true. Just saying, just saying, yeah. Um, but this this was written by Dwayne Swizer. I would I would say Swarchinsky. Okay, see, I wasn't gonna get close to that. We're gonna call him Dwayne Swarchinsky. <laughs> Dwayne, what Adam said. Swarchinsky. Uh, Swarchinsky. Swarchinsky. 
That's going to be my guess. Um, I, I can't say that I'm like an expert in name pronunciations, but uh, that's where I'm going with it. Don't worry. He'll never listen to this. So we'll be good. <laughs> uh, with all the art by Ariel Olivetti. Uh, this is a story about Cable and his redheaded baby, who he just calls Little Girl, mm. going to this secret town in the United States because it's one of the few places that he knows is going to be safe. And having a life there, Cable gets married to this woman named Hope, and he just he becomes at peace raising his daughter. Yeah, it's kind of an old man Logan type story. Um, yep. You know, he settles down, and um, there's there's a little bit of a. <laughs> I wrote in my notes that when when the cockroach people do finally show up, there's a little bit of a John Wick scenario here, where he has to you know dig through the concrete to get to his secret box full of weapons and uh, and well, you know, and cable has <laughs> so a box can, of guns. <laughs> yeah exactly right it's just kind of buried in the front yard uh so that he can go savage on on the uh, cockroach people which that that element alone to this story um you know it gives the entire thing a real twilight zone um goofy sci-fi aspect to it that, oh, that yeah. works really well within this context yeah let's point out that the entirety of the united states has been taken over by half cockroach half people people uh mm-hmm. one of which walks out in his armor and introduces himself by pulling off his helmet and saying, I'm the president of the United States. <laughs> it, it's the it's funniest a gag. I tell you what, it's perfect. Anyway, Cable kills a bunch of roaches. And then they go on the run, uh, him and his wife and the wee baby, who remains nameless until the very end of the story, when, sadly, because this had to wrap up this way, Cable's wife gets shot and she dies. And yeah, a bit of a, a bit of a disappointing, uh, you know, fridging situation there that I wish they had handled a little bit differently. So here's here's the way I look at this. I don't see Hope's death as providing any motivation for War Cable at all. Mm, okay. I I honestly don't because he already had his job. Yeah. What I think she her role in this story more was to show that hey you can be a father you can be a parent and you know this kid isn't just going to be able to be the child of a soldier it's going to have to be the child of a person and i i i like that aspect of it i definitely agree that there's a bit of a you know feeling of fridging in that i also just knowing the story of cable it felt like an inevitability more than anything else sure you know and <sighs> It doesn't really help that the because of the limited number of issues here, and we we know this is going to you know speed up real fast, and then we're going to get to some sort of conclusion. We don't get a lot of character development with the um, with the the woman that he marries. Mm-hmm. Um, so you know you're right for story purposes, she serves those, but it would have been interesting to have her be you know more of an interesting character for a longer term. But Cable doesn't work that way. Uh, no, just as a as a comic it never does which is to me part of the reason why it's interesting to pair him up with the baby who he obviously by the end of this names after his late wife hope 
mm-hmm. which makes reading this with that knowledge very confusing. Yeah, um, I think the the other thing I really enjoyed about these issues is that uh, I talked in the Messiah War issue about my issues with uh, Bishop. Oh yeah, um, and how I felt that that was a little bit of a, a character assassination. This does give a little bit more of a transition between the character we see in complex and the character that we're seeing in, in Messiah war, because I, I think what's added here is that essentially there's two parallel stories here. We've got cable in the future, 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 but we also have Cyclops who's, who's managed to trap Bishop and kind of goes all homeland on him, you know, with Emma torturing him and trying to get the information that he needs to find hope. So we get a little bit more of a rationale for the way that Bishop works and why he is who he is um, when we actually get to Messiah war. And I, I'm glad that there was that, you know, that, you know, I kind of shortchanged that when I read war yeah, by itself. Bishop becomes interesting here because he's unabashedly the villain of this story, but he's, right. he's the villain with very set motives that are internally consistent. Like it, this is a story where Bishop is literally all right with raising the entire earth in the future destroying mm-hmm. everything because in his mind in his rationale he knows that he kills hope his future doesn't come about there that entire future whatever right. it is hope's gone the future's going to reset it's not going to happen he's not going to just like those people are npcs in a video game to him they they don't mm-hmm. count. They aren't real. So yes, he has to do this horrible thing, but they aren't going to matter. And, and that reveal, um, when it finally comes that in the future timelines, he is just like absolutely decimated multiple continents. And he's explaining to Cyclops how he did it in, in this very like calm, casual way. It's just like, Hey, this is what needs to get done. It is extremely effective. It's a really, uh, cool yes. scene and scary. And it, it, it makes him much more of a, a three-dimensional villain um, than sort of just like the screaming, ranting character that you see in Messiah War, where he's totally been pushed over the edge. Yeah, I I agree. I think I think this does a lot of good work for Bishop and Cable. And this might be my favorite arc in this entire mm-hmm. Cable run. And this is a run that I enjoy a lot. I've talked about that a ton. Like reading that issue 10 where it's Cable and Hope on the road, him realizing how he's proud of her, the things mm-hmm. that she's done that he never expected his child to be able to do. Yeah. It it resonates with me just a little bit. Sure. Like I, I like that being a parent and being a parent of a kid who's going through the years where they surprise you with their development. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, let's, let's hope that our children don't become, you know, like super soldiers who <laughs> know when the best time to shiv somebody is. <laughs> but look, look, look. I understand what you're talking about. If my son can find a way to detonate some Simtex and blow up some roaches, <laughs> I will at Good least job. be surprised. <laughs> where do we want to rank this one? I'm looking to where we actually put Messiah War. Um, and I like this more than I like Messiah war. Um, cause I, I think it has some really great character beats and I like the way it goes back and forth between the Bishop storyline and the cable storyline. Definitely. Um, 
Which Messiah War right now is at number 23 between Executioner's Song and Excalibur Mojo Mayhem. Yeah, I mean, I think objectively this is better than Executioner's Song. You know, because that's just, you know, I like that because of its like over the top, you know, silliness. Is it better than X-Men and Alpha Flight Volume 1? I mean, I think that it really does a very good job of setting up the big next stage crossover event. Whereas X-Men and Alpha Flight is sort of a standalone, beautiful story in and of itself. Uh, so I don't know where, where, how high do you want to go here? I would, I actually like where you're looking. I don't think this is better than giant size X-Men number one, which is okay. a very good story. Yeah. I do think I, I've never gone back to X-Men and Alpha Flight, even though like right. I know objectively it's pretty good. Mm-hmm. I definitely have gone back to this cable story several times. So I think that's where it goes as our new number 21 cable volume three, seven to 10 waiting for the end of the world. I think I said that right. I accidentally closed out the tab, so I don't know the actual title. <laughs> I'm sorry guys, but I do know the title okay. of this next one. I know the title of this next one. Adam, do you know the well, title of this, this is next a, one? Yeah, this is an absolute classic. You can't forget this one. This is New X-Men, 134 to 138, right, right. at Xavier's. Oh, yeah. Um, and I'm sure there are some Quentin Choir fans out there who are very excited that we get a chance to talk about this. Um, and I think this may have come up as part of our conversation with Dennis because he did the issue of Jean Grey where when she pops into Emma's mind – they're kind of transported back into this, this era, this Morrison era. Um, so this is obviously a great resource for him. Yeah. And uh, this was a lot of fun to go back and reread. So let me just give the thousand mile in the sky approach to what happens at Riot because Riot is dense. Riot is an incredibly dense story. Mutant fashion designer Jumbo Carnation dies causing a big uproar in the mutant subculture because he was a big deal. Quentin Quire, who is a nice, good telepath boy, finds out that he was adopted, and it kind of breaks him. Mm-hmm. Now, I'm just going to say this right away. If any of you are preparing to talk to your children about them being adopted, don't do it over telephone. <laughs> Don't do that, people. Also, don't do it if your uh, your adopted son is an Omega level telepath. <laughs> also, yes, just a thought. <laughs> Who also might be like you know hopped up on kick. Uh, <laughs> yeah, this introduces kick, which is the Grant Morrison mutant power enhancing drug made from John Sublime who was a bacteria who is one of the first living beings on earth and hates mutants. Yeah. Now just to clarify, this is different than HGH in the, in the mutant universe yes. here, right? They're two separate things. Kick because becomes... HGH isn't a sentient bacteria. Right. Yes. Okay. All right. I'm, I just wanted to make sure I clarified that. Um, yes. All right, you, were, you were summarizing this as, as best you could. I was. So anyway, we get that. We, Quentin Choir decides to be very anti-authoritarian and very much, hey, you know what, Professor X? You keep saying mutants shouldn't inherit the Earth and we shouldn't be in charge, but what if we were? Like, would that be bad? Is that wrong think around here? Just being just a real teenage dirtbag. Slash just a mini-fascist. <laughs> 
a little 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 fascist there's a little bit of fascism in there yeah that's yeah. true no. but he goes through all of that and he's just he starts his own revolution he gets everyone in their own thoughts his, their own fashion designs all hopped up on kick and he causes a riot at xavier's in the meantime, Zorn is taking the special class out for a camping trip. Uh, Angel and Beak, you know, they 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 do the nasty. They have relations. They have they have mutant <laughs> relations, and they. Uh, man, what was the word I was looking for in my mouth? No. Uh, anyway, they get attacked by the U Men, who are worshippers of John Sublime, and his <laughs> theories about the third race or whatever it is. And then Zorn does secret creepy stuff to murder a lot of them. They all get back at this riot, and then the Stepford Cuckoos stop the heck out of this riot that just – you get the whole feeling. Like we call it Riot at Xavier's like it's a big event. thing lasts for minutes. There's one and a half casualties, which mm. is not a small thing, but it – this big revolution that choir had and what he's remembered for was a nothing event at the end of the day, especially in the world of it, the X-Men and the world of Xavier's. It was a nothing from everything. Uh, so they do kill a couple people across uh, along the way though. Correct. They, so Sophie dies, stopping him. Sophie, yeah, but don't, don't they like go out as a gang and kill some people? Oh before yeah. The yeah actual they, 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 murdered, they murdered some people who were bad to humans because they are yeah. bad to mutants. Cause they thought humans murdered jumbo carnation, right, right. which turns out, which it turns out is not. No, he was just high on kick. Right. And uh, yeah. Oh, and then at the end, Jean Grey catches Cyclops and Emma Frost in a psychic affair where Emma is dressed like the dark Phoenix. Yeah. Huh. And Classic. Quentin Quire ascends to a higher level of being. Right, because he's technically, he's, well, the, Xavier claims that he's dead at, at the end. He's correct? gas or, in a jar. Or, he's gas in yes. a jar. Yeah. This, um, this arc has so many uh, really, f- like, if you're going to go back and do classic Morrison new X-Men. Like this to me is, is what you go back to, yes. you know, E for extinction is really fun. Um, you know, but it's great to see a very, very, what's the word I'm looking for. It's so, it's a nice compressed, lots of stuff going on for issue block where, um, we don't have a variety of artists, yeah. you know, yeah. um, we have, Grant on we have quietly on every single well, issue and here in Gr- and he's killing it here and grant does do one, uh, 34 quietly does. Yeah. Does he? 134 is kind of, the- oh, okay. I wasn't counting. I was just going 135 to 138. Um, you know, cause that's, that's what's taglined on right, the covers. Right, right. Um, but the issues where you do get the artist shift are so dramatic, um, because quietly is such, you know, he's so good. Um, you know, there's a, there's a reason that he, these issues are like held in such high esteem, but I think people forget how few of them he actually did. You know, there's a lot of fill in art that's not quietly. So to see four back to back issues that are so good and the action sequences are outstanding. Um, just if you, if you look at the first six pages of 138, they're just this like awesome action sequence with uh herman glob on fire running down the street and zorn trying to stop him um it's a, it's a very very awesome story from beginning to yeah, end Yeah, it's great i mean and quietly is phenomenal there's a reason why he is one of the most well-regarded artists working in comics today and him teaming up with grant morrison who is grant morrison 
like does does anything else need to be said about grant morrison people you know that grant morrison is very good at comics and possibly has met superman (laughs) well and i i just want to be on record for the morrison run is is an interesting one in that it goes off the rails not too far after this with the Magneto stuff. You know, we're not that far away in this story from when things really sort of, you know, when we get Zornito um, and things get really, really weird. But by this point, I think we've already had Phantom X. Yep. Um, we've already had Evil yep. Extinction and uh, we already had the Shi'ar stuff. So there's some really, really classic core stuff that's already been hit by here. But this to me is the, is the peak. I, I like this the best out of all of the uh, new X-Men stories that they right. did. Hey, can, can I do a Can I do a digression on Zornito just for one second? Oh, please. So yeah, please digress. A lot of people get upset about planet X, the Zornito arc in new X-Men. Mm-hmm. And I did too. The first time I read it because I read it uh, probably back 2013, I think was actually the first time I was able to go back to this story. And I thought it seemed out of place based on, you know, what I thought of in my mind as Magneto recently within the last uh, couple of months, I read a chunk of the late nineties X-Men stuff, uh, the Magneto war stuff, uh, the, I forget the name of it, the Scott Lobdell arc that was done right before Morrison got on and got on adjectiveless. And that Magneto is the same Magneto that you see in this story. He's a terrorist. He's a fascist. He is the extinction or the fatal attractions Magneto turned up to 11. That was consistent with the character that was being written However, the combination of mostly Ian McKellen and that movie <laughs> resetting what people think of when they think of Magneto and then going back to the Claremont run, which is the classic Magneto, yeah. it doesn't look good outside of that, but I definitely see where Morrison was going. And I have a lot more respect for the character choices that were made after going back and reevaluating some of that stuff. Wow, I was not expecting you to uh, go on the Zornino. I wasn't there, either. So. It was very frustrating <laughs> when I found out that I was wrong once in the past. It's like, dang it. No, you do bring up a good point because I think if, if there are folks out there like I was who kind of faded out in the nineties um, with their, you know, X-Men reading, and then you came back because you were like, everybody's saying, this is the run. You got to check this out. And and you're reading this going, wait, what? That's not the X. That's not the Magneto that I remember. You know, like the, I, I think you've got a really good point there. Um, I want to point out just one last thing before we rank this. And that is that one of my favorite things about this arc is the quote unquote adults and the way in which they handle the sort of like say no to drugs elements of this storyline, you know, the way that Xavier and Emma talk to the students and, and kind of, um, you know, talk down to them about these conflicts. It's really funny. Um, there's a Hellions joke in there at one yeah. point and, uh, it's, I, I love this cause it keeps reminding me, everyone thinks of the Stepford cuckoos as, you know, little Emma's because they are, but the Stepford Cuckoos don't actually like Emma all that much, and they never have, right. and that stays consistent. Like, even after this run, they aren't on Emma's Hellions when they split up the school into teams. They're on Scott Summers' mm-hmm. team. They don't right. go to Scott Summers' resistance because of Emma. They go because they trust in Scott. 
it's very interesting to see. And a lot of that resentment comes here because Emma, the adult, the person that was supposed to watch out for them, isn't strong enough to save Sophie. Mm -hmm. And then they go and say, hey, Emma, screw you. Gee, gee, gee. You're going to want to see this. It's awesome. <laughs> I love the Stefford Cuckoos. Like, here's here's going to be a spoiler for something called The Gifted. All I'm going to say is about three and a half, four weeks ago, the character named Esma, Esme, who is a blonde telepath who keeps talking about her family showed up. And I swear, in, in 2017, we are getting a show that has the Stefford Cuckoos talking about kick because all that has happened. <laughs> You're making me want to uh, go, go back and catch up. Cause I, I kind of stopped watching that after a couple episodes. I did so, too. Uh, I that's did exciting. too. I catch well, up maybe on I'll that. Do a little I... binge over the holidays. Yeah. It's very right, repetitive. Uh, that's okay. Um, it's, it's, it's a very much a network show. Yes. Where do we want to rank riot at Xavier's right? Xavier's is the best thing. Grant Morrison wrote about X-Men. It is yeah. in the pant and I, I hold Grant Morrison's new X-Men run as the single best run of X-Men since Claremont was off the book. Yeah, I think that's fair. Now I hold um, that as there are individual stories that I like better, but as right. a cohesive run, it's incredibly good. Mm -hmm. I, um, I, I, I think this is top 10 material. So this is better than really life death too. This is better than X-Men 1 through 3 Mutant Genesis, yes. Uh, so we, we talked about uh, when we were doing the uh, Asgard episode that we kind of have a drop-off on this list. We have incredibly classic stories, Days of Future Past at number one, of course, God Loves Man Kills, Asgardian War, and Wolverine, the Frank Miller, Chris Claremont mm -hmm. run. And then we have uh, Max Bemis's Worst X-Man Ever, which is a story I love. Yeah. This is better than that. I think so. So I think the cap here might be whether you're willing to go above Wolverine Volume 1. I don't think I would put it above that, but what are you uh, thinking? Here's this the problem. This this yeah. isn't this is the best Grant Morrison new X-Men story, but this isn't even the mm -hmm. best Grant Morrison and Frank Quitely story ever written and done. No. No, it's not. Where Wolverine, there is a decent argument that it's the best Frank Miller story or it's the best Chris Claremont story. Like, I don't know if I buy those arguments, but I would listen to them. <laughs> Where New X-Men, I'd say, hey, look, I love love the book to death, but Flex Mentalo and freaking, uh, what is it, Multiversity uh, Pax Americana do exist. So maybe slow your roll a second. <laughs> <laughs> well then maybe it's a maybe it's number five uh, i think that I think that's it is a number very five. very solid uh place to put it on the list it is really good so number five between wolverine number one and x-men worst x-man ever is grant morrison and frank whiteley's new x-men right at xavier's and that does it for this week doesn't it and and thank you dennis for uh recommending these awesome stories it was really fun to revisit these great time to revisit them uh, now, as we wrap up, normally every episode is brought to us. Actually, you know, every episode is still brought to us by the lovely Patreons at patreon.com. Uh, but if you do want to support the show, you can go over to patreon.com slash Xavier Files. At the $2 a month level, you can actually get an entire episode of Battle of the Atom created all for you based on one of your recommendations and that's a lot of fun we have a couple of those coming up soon that i'm pretty excited for beyond that 
everything associated with Battle of the Atom can be found at XavierFiles.com, where I also have weekly X-Men articles. Uh, this week, I've written my 100th article will have gone up by the time you uh, listen to this. Nice. Congrats. Yeah, thank you. It's a crazy thing. Now, that one's your uh, Ulysses-length uh, treatise on uh, a specific character, correct? It's Charles Xavier. This, <laughs> you will know that it's Charles Xavier because it will exist at the time. I figured it was cute because it's the 100th one, yeah. and it's the Xavier Files. Get it? It's a whole fun thing. Anyway, it's really hard to write a lot about Charles Xavier because he does a lot of stuff, then he disappears for huge swaths of time. That's a very good point. Fakes his death quite a few times. Like, I'm counting, but there's a lot at this point that he's either been <laughs> thought to be assassinated all this stuff anyway you can check that out in the article you can also check out my other x-men thoughts at xavier files on twitter where i tweet about x-men also i have links to this show and all that now adam Reck, where can people find you online uh, you guys can always follow me at arthur stacy um, my website's adamreck.tumblr.com um in the time that the episodes aired last and when this goes on the air, I'll have uh, had the big cartel store open adamrec.bigcartel.com to do a sales for the print version of Bish and Jube. So hopefully you guys were following on Twitter and you saw that if you missed the orders for the print run, you know, just shoot me a message. I'm kind of toying with the idea of whether I need to extend that or not. Um, you know, cause I, I don't know if, everybody is aware of it. If you did miss it completely, I I'm still probably going to do a downloadable PDF, um, through that same platform. Uh, and you guys will be able to, to get a copy of that that way. Go pick it up. Bish and juice is very good. And I can't wait for my copy that I know is in the mail right now. Thank you, Adam. It is in the mail. So I hope you enjoy it. I intend to. And I hope all <laughs> of you guys enjoyed this week's battle of the Adam. It was a lot of fun next week. Join us for our X-Men X-Mess special. Where we're gonna talk, we're gonna talk about some Santa. We're gonna sing some songs, maybe share some, share some laughs, have a good time. Until then, this has been Battle of the Atom. I hope you survived the experience. Get it!